Cincinnati Jersey all on the block we get it in I'm in my Cincinnati Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Podcast I'm Coomer and today we've got a quick hitter for you Hummer and I were joined on today's episode by Seth Varnador of TheDailyStampede.com. We spoke to Seth about the South Florida football team, what to expect in this week's upcoming matchup against the Bearcats. The Bearcats are heavy favorites in this matchup, so while we asked a lot of questions about what South Florida could do to win, it sure doesn't seem like much. Regardless, it was a great, informative interview with Seth. We're glad he joined the podcast, and now... Seth Varnador. We are now joined by Seth Varnador, contributor at the Daily Stampede, an expert on all things South Florida Bulls, football, as well as maybe just football in general. But Seth, we really appreciate you joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat podcast today. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I uh, look forward to talking a little football with you. Yeah, we appreciate it. Look, we, uh, I told you just before we hopped on here that basketball is our calling card. It's what we started this podcast with. And given that it's a Cincinnati Bearcat podcast, that makes sense. But things are going well with football, and we would be, it would be negligent on our part to not start talking more football. So with that, rather than acting like the experts on South Florida and other opponents, we decided to try and get experts on those teams and you are up first sir with our first conference game of the season south florida bulls a team that's in uh sort of a transition year moving on from charlie strong we had a tough matchup last year with you guys one on a game-winning field goal down 10 at halftime a closer game than many bearcats fans expected but uh going into this season talk to me a little bit about how the bulls are transitioning from the Charlie Strong era into the Jeff Scott era of coaching? It's been a, so far it's been a pretty rough transition on the field. I think pretty smooth everywhere else. Uh, a lot of excitement around the program. Coach Scott, um, I think you did an approval rating before the season started. He'd have been about a hundred percent. Now they've lost the game, you know, it always dips a little bit, but uh, I think it's a lot of fans realize that there's been a, a loss of talent over the last, you know, four or five years recruiting has gone down. So there's not as much talent on the team as there's been in the past. So I think a lot of fans understand that and are just hoping to see some improvement as the season goes on. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. You know, I think folks actually in the conference were excited when they made the hire, given his, his ties to Clemson and the success he had there. It's, it certainly had a lot of buzz going into the season. I would imagine, though, that under the circumstances that COVID has presented, it's not the ideal situation for a new coach with new players trying to get a program started. And, and I think we just heard that South Florida had to take you know, upwards of 10 days off football activities based on too many cases or contact tracing. What's the situation there? Well, last I heard, I think they're on track for this week. Um, but, yeah, they uh, after the Notre Dame game, they were doing contact tracing. And I think that at one point, uh, Coach Scott mentioned, I think on the radio earlier this morning, that there was one point last week they were practicing with 75 guys. Um, and it's usually 115 is what he said. So just with the – and it wasn't even the positive test. It was more of holding guys out that may for contact tracing because they tested the Monday following Notre Dame game and everybody was negative. Um, I'm, I haven't, I'm not sure if they revealed the latest round of testing, but – it wasn't so much, I don't think, a testing issue as it was a 
the contract tracing and then uh, having a lot of bodies on practice. So I think that's why they went ahead and postponed the game last week. But as far as I know, I think they're on track. Everything seems to be all right going into this week. And they're even getting some people back, I believe. Great. Well, I'm glad to hear the game's on track. I, I Admittedly, when I saw the headline, I was a bit concerned that we were going to see our first game postponed this season. Because of that situation, South Florida missed their last game. They did not play the matchup against Florida Atlantic. And the only real games we have to go off of are the Citadel, and uh, which was a game. I guess Citadel plays triple option. I found that out. Yes. We, just, we just got done with the game against Army, so we are – very You're well versed, yeah. <laughs> well versed at this point with what that looks like. If you're um, watching the film from last week's game, you're going to get a lot, a lot of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even going to watch the defense. I'm we're going to I'm just going to go to <laughs> we're going to have to go watch Austin P. I guess. But. <laughs> uh, but you you also played a matchup against one of the better programs in the country mm-hmm. in Notre Dame with a, a, a tough 52 nothing loss. So, given the new era of football with Jeff Scott, what what's something that you're looking for in a matchup against UC in terms of where this is heading for South Florida, maybe style of play wise, what's different from, you know, going into this season as opposed to what strong did last year. Well, last year he brought in a new offensive coordinator, but it was kind of a band aid. He brought in and I actually knew, knew the offensive coordinator. That's kind of how I got into the covering South Florida football. Um, I played for him. He was a high school coach, but uh, they brought him in and, uh, let him hire one coach, didn't let him hire anybody else. So it's kind of a band-aid last year. Um, this year, Scott pretty much brought in an entire new staff, so there's no holdovers all, maybe like a grad assistant or two, um, but there may not even be any there. So totally different scheme. Um, there are some similarities, but you, it's really hard to tell what they want to do so far, especially on defense, because as you mentioned before, they played a triple option team first, and then Notre Dame – it was just a physical mismatch. Notre Dame could have done whatever they wanted running the ball, really. And what Notre Dame decided to do was put, you know, eight, nine guys in the line of scrimmage. You can bring the wide receivers in really tight and just run the ball down USF's throat. And there was nothing they could do to stop. But USF's not great up front on defense. They got some pretty good linebackers and some uh, pretty athletic defensive backs. But, um, you know, it's hard to say going forward. I think most USF fans and USF observers were hope they could find a quarterback this year. They're still searching um, through two games. Neither guy is separated. And then now you have Cade Fortin, who's going to be available this week, a North Carolina transfer. I think he's probably the most talented guy, but we haven't got to see him on the field yet. So um, going forward, I think that's what a lot of people will be looking for. Do they find a quarterback? Gotcha. So have you had a chance – you know, we're obviously we don't present the same maybe physical mismatches that Notre Dame may. Although the talent pool at Cincinnati is improving year after year, uh, with Luke Fickle, he's doing a great job mm. recruiting the local area, pulled in some talented guys from Florida as well. Um, what are you? What are the, some of the keys that you see in this matchup, maybe from the South Florida perspective? So when you look at the Bearcat style of play, a defense that's you know well-known within the American Athletic Conference as being one of the best, mm-hmm. uh, if not just in the conference, but in the country potentially. Uh, but then an offense that, you know, I don't know what you've gotten to see so far from the Army game that still has its limitations in terms of what it can actually do, uh, which may go back to our quarterback play. What are you seeing in terms of from the South Florida perspective that they could take advantage of maybe? 
Well, I, I'm not sure the, the what South Florida has not been able to do, even against the Citadel this year, and that's something I've been kind of harping on since that first game, is they have not been able to get any kind of explosiveness in the passing game, not any passes downfield, really. They hit one against Notre Dame late. It might have even been after garbage time. Um, but that's a 36-yard pass. Other than that, I don't think they've had a single pass over 20 yards this season. So if I think to have a shot against Cincinnati, they're going to have to hit some explosive plays in the passing game. I don't know if they can, but that's what they're going to have to do. And then defensively, again, it's hard to tell exactly where they're at. Um, their back end supposed to be the best part of their team, the defensive backs. Um, they haven't really been challenged yet this year. Notre Dame didn't really try to throw the ball very much. And when they did, it was lots of tight ends and, and backs and things like that. So you, you'd think they'd want to maybe play some man coverage on defense and, and try to stop the run and make the quarterback beat them. But they haven't been challenged yet. It's hard to tell exactly what you're going to get from them. So this, that last week, missing last week kind of, you missed a little bit of understanding how the team was going to play a little bit more. No, that makes sense. I think, you know, we, there's a lot more, I think it must be the, the idea of having the new coaching staff because with Cincinnati, there's not a ton of new variables. It's pretty much the same story of, of having this solid rock solid defense that has, uh, that's replacing some seniors that departed, but at the same time, there's more talent being injected into the program every year with, with uh, highly rated freshmen relative to what we typically recruit. Mm. And it really was the make or break in terms of upside. And this is what Hummer and I talked about yesterday is, is what, what are we getting from the quarterback? And so maybe defensively with South Florida, where, where are the holes in their defense? You know, where for, when the Bearcats are attacking this defense, where do you see South Florida having to sure up knowing that they're going into a game against Cincinnati? They're, they're still um, – I think their biggest question mark coming into the season was their defensive front. Um, and they're still haven't figured out exactly what their best group is there. They've rotated guys in and out, but with only two games and being really run heavy um, and really kind of – not conventional offense, really, because Notre Dame. What Notre Dame's running now is not uh, conventional college offense. Now, I'd say Cincinnati's more conventional with spread. Shock. Notre Dame's a lot of just two tight end stuff running the ball. Um, so I'm not exactly sure how they're going to play. They've showed in the past. Uh, Glenn Spencer, defensive coordinator, has um, when he was at Florida Atlantic last year, played odd front, did a lot of moving, a lot of blitzing, a lot of man coverage, tried to cause havoc. I would imagine that's how they're going to try to play, to try to mask some of their deficiencies up front. They're going to have to blitz. They're going to have to play man coverage. Um, but then that opens you up to getting beat one-on-one. And last year, as, as good as everyone um, likes to talk to the USF defensive backs are, they did have the uh, propensity to get beat occasionally one-on-one. So I think my guess would be they'll try to stop the run, make the quarterback beat them in some one-on-one throws. But if they can, then – U.S. is going to be a big trouble. That sounds like the the standard game plan for for most opponents. I think playing playing the Cats this year. Uh, if you're watching the tape tomorrow, you'll you'll certainly see that's what Army's Army's game plan was. Yeah. Make Ritter beat them downfield. The one thing that's surprising though with with some, I wouldn't say it's surprising for SEC fans, but uh, our receiving core is filled with a lot of fast. There's a lot of speed on on the, on the wide receiver core. Um, Speaking of Notre Dame, a transfer from Notre Dame, Michael Young Jr., he was kind of the, the, the standout, if you would, from, from a speed perspective, just kind of explosive uh, in the way he was able to 
to get open these one-on-one situations. So I think you're probably spot on with what you're going to see from the defense is trying to stop that run and, and making us beat, beat you guys down downfield. Yeah, and, and I would guess you pretty much see the same thing from the Cincinnati defense on the other side. If, if I'm Cincinnati, I'm just loading up the box and saying, all right, beat me one-on-one. Cincinnati's got some good corners. And they got good corners, exactly. Yeah. And USF does not have um, – they have a Tennessee transfer with Trey Williams that's shown some flashes, um, but the quarterbacks haven't been able to get the ball to him uh, when he does get behind the defense. So this is not a really explosive receiver group at USF, and that's been their problem the last couple of years is they're not really explosive on offense. So people are just going to pack the box, play man-to-man, and dare you to beat them over the top. And – your receivers can't run by anybody, so you're in trouble. Yeah, I got to be honest. I'm listening to you talk, describe where the situation that South Florida's in, and when you pair the turnover and coaching staff, the limited practice time that these teams have, the situation with COVID that they faced and the number of players they've had out, this does not sound like the ideal situation for South Florida to be going into coming to Cincinnati this Saturday. No, I think um... – and in some ways, I think Scott wasn't too upset that he missed last week with uh, having to go against Taggart and Levitt, former USF coaches, that maybe if they win, he starts to hear grumblings from the fans. Uh, but I think they really needed another game before this one to try to sort some of this stuff out. Uh, the quarterback position, they're really, really struggling there. Um, I think they're averaging – I think it's four yards of pass or four yards of yeah four yards of pass right now or something like that through two games. That's like eight is a pretty decent. Half of eight is not very good. So, so straight, straight out of the nineteen sixties football. Yes, it's it is and it's not. Um, you know, we'll see if uh, the North Carolina transfer Kate Fortin plays and and maybe he can provide something. But um, we haven't heard a ton about him in camp. We've heard he's really smart, but haven't been able to see much. So um, maybe he's a guy that can unlock it. But they're just – I think this year is going to be a struggle for them. Some fans are just like, we beat Citadel. We're not going to go defeated. It's going to be – it's a good season. Like, there's – there's the expectations are that low in some parts of the fandom. So, um, yeah, this is not where you'd want to start if you're USF at Cincinnati. What's the uh, – you know, what's the passion like for the South Florida football team in that area? You know, like it's nobody ever thinks of of South Florida necessarily as having this rabid fan base, but it sounds like there is some level of pressure given that, I mean, it's it's a program that has some more some decent resources. Clearly, Charlie Strong had a clock. Um, you know, what's what's the situation like that down there from a from a fan perspective? I think it's growing. Like myself, I uh, I grew up a huge Florida fan. I grew up in the area. They didn't have football when I was young, young, young. So, you know, they didn't have Division One football once that's when I was starting to really get into it. So, but I think this next generation and, and generations coming on are growing up in it. And I think that's really important is you kind of have to grow up in it, especially college football. Um, unless you go to the school, you can kind of catch on later then. But uh, I think the fandom is growing. Uh, they got a big alumni base and it's just growing every year. And there, there, there is passion in the fan base. Um, but I think there's, you know, there's right now they're a little beaten down um, since 2016. You had some highs, and then it's kind of been you've been beaten down since then. So they're just looking for positives. And I think once um, they get going again, I think the fans will come back out, and they just need something to cheer for, really. 
I mean, is it is it completely unfair to say that uh, they went through an era of football similar to what Cincinnati went through when Tommy Tuberville was the coach for three seasons? I mean, that was like those are like the dark ages that people still talk about to this day in terms of just how bad bad it got. Yeah, after uh, after Taggart left, there's some people that um, they knew they felt like they knew as soon as the first game happened under Charlie Strong that this wasn't going to work. It always seemed to be a marriage of convenience between the two parties that Strong was hoping he's going to jump on a, a pretty a, – he's going to have a pretty loaded team his first year. Uh, hopefully the first two years go well. He goes off to a bigger job. USF goes and hires somebody else once his, uh, his buyout money with Texas dries up. And they kind of got stuck with the bill there when they thought it was going to be a little bit less. So – yeah, the, the, those years aren't looked back on fondly, especially because he had a pretty good team his first year. And um, they were kind of right there with UCF for uh, that group of five uh, bowl games, New Year's Six bowl game spot. It went over my head a bit before. I did not realize that Taggart – so Taggart went to Florida Atlantic now after he was let go by Florida State. Yeah. You, so you missed the matchup with the old coach. That's what I'm saying. I don't. I don't oh know if Scott God. was. I don't know if Scott was too upset that that because and his defensive coordinator is Jim Levitt. Oh. So who is you know still held in very high regard despite you know his unceremonious uh, outing at the, at the university. A lot of fans hold him in high regard. Wow. Uh, you know they got to number two in the country when he was that coach. Uh, so, yeah, so he kind of avoided a double whammy there of having to lose to two former USF head coaches possibly. Yeah, I think that might have been a winnable game for them, but that's – yeah, that, that, he would have been uh, staring down the barrel of a tough situation there if they lost. Yeah, that's a convenient cancellation or convenient postponement there. Yeah, I don't think he's too upset about it. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. How much of a chance have you had, Seth, to think about the conference as a whole in terms of where you see things heading? Who do you see as the favorites – uh, you know, just an outsider's perspective on where you see uh, the Bearcats fitting into the conference. I think they're, I think they're right there at the top. I mean, that seems to be a lot of the media consensus. Uh, I think UCF is always dangerous, but they can also kind of get stuck in one gear during a game. And usually they, they blow out of it, but um, when they're playing a good team, sometimes you can get yourself in those kind of situations. Yeah. Um, but they're really explosive. I'm, I'd be interested to see once they start playing some better teams. I think Georgia Tech, um, we kind of saw that maybe they're not quite as good as that first week looked against Florida State, who turned out to be a pretty terrible team. Uh, Memphis, I think, with just with that coming back, is dangerous. SMU again. I, I like to look at a lot of times, you know, the, the quarterback play, I think, is important, and those two have probably two best quarterbacks in the conference. UCF's quarterback's right up up there. And I think Cincinnati's quarterback at times can be up there too. He seems like he's kind of a, maybe a little feast or famine. But at times he can he can play out of his mind. And, and I think when he plays really well, Cincinnati's tough, going to be tough for anybody in the conference to beat. Yeah, the quarterback situation here is is quite interesting. I mean, Hummer, you want to tell him about the, the demands of the fan base mid-quarter of the game against Army? I was actually going to say you were talking about when you first got on about, you know, the fan base for South Florida wasn't, you know, they didn't get too crazy about firing their coach mid-game. Uh, our fan base, two games in, about five minutes into the first quarter, wanted to bench our quarterback. Uh, five minutes in, you know, not not the, the, the harp on our fans too much, but 
Come on, man. Hmm. Well, and <laughs> expectations, fair, man. Expectations. It is. It is. It is. It's expectations. It's coming into the season with really high hopes of having people mm-hmm. like Desmond Howard pick your team to make the playoff. You know, granted, before the Big Ten announced they would be resuming play, mm-hmm. um, but he's you know he struggled a little bit in the first in the beginning of the game, especially missing deep passes. Everyone came into the season hoping Desmond Ritter would take a leap from an accuracy standpoint, throwing downfield. And that wasn't reflected in the first game. And frankly, mm-hmm. against Austin P, they didn't even have to. They just they threw to tight ends, they threw to running backs, and that was about it. Um, you know, so everyone, every, the guy behind him, Bryant, definitely has a bigger arm. He's got more vertical capabilities, but he struggled with turnovers. And the coaching staff has been clear about that. And uh, you know, coaching staffs like reliability. They like a known mm-hmm. commodity who's going to lead, who's going to not turn the ball over. And that's what Ritter should be. I don't foresee him having major issues with, with South Florida. I don't think this is going to be the team that, that exposes him necessarily. Um, no, I, I would think the turnovers would be kind of – that's what South Florida needs to win this game. They need to win the turnover margin by a lot, put themselves in really short fields, get some explosive plays. So if, you, if you're going to have uh, – if you want to play a quarterback that's, you know, higher ceiling, lower floor, that may, that may turn against you against a team like South Florida that's just hoping to get some turnovers. So if, you, if you're playing a more steady guy, I think that is going to really cause problems for South Florida just because they need those turnovers and short fields to score. Hummer, you got any final questions here for Seth before we let him go? No, I think we're doing a, a good job here. Wish you guys, you know, wish you guys luck. I think the keys for, you know, Cincinnati – we're gonna we're gonna try to establish the run game, even though you guys are gonna try and take it away. I think that's gonna be be key for us for having success downfield. Uh, you know, we're gonna you're gonna see a lot of uh, a lot of running back by committee, uh, but each one of the guys that gets it is more than capable of of busting out a big run. Uh, and then just our, our speed on the on the on the wide receiver set, I think, is is gonna probably you know test your backs the way you guys were, were looking for them to be tested. Um, so, you know, we wish you luck and we look forward to doing this again. Yeah. Just not this week, right? I think, <laughs> I think you're going to see, uh, I think you're going to see probably two similar teams. Just the home team is probably a lot more talented right now. So, yeah, it feels um, like a game where the Bearcats need to come in, play their style of football defense shows up, does their job. It's, it's just a matter of, of putting some points on the board at that point. And I think that they they'll get it done this week. So I still appreciate you coming in, coming in and, and uh, teaching us a little bit about where USF is. You know, it's good to he- check in with you guys, uh, learn a little bit about where the program's heading and then each year getting an update will be, will be fun, but I appreciate it, Seth. Now, hey, no problem. Thanks, where's the, where's, where's the basketball team? <laughs> um, where, where, where are they looking at Curly? I know we, we, we got the late season here. We're not starting until November 25th, but I'm I'm not a basketball guy. Uh, I'm not a, the USF basketball guy, but I've heard good things. They feel pretty confident. I think they've got some uh, transfers in, some Power Five transfers in that are immediately eligible. A couple of big guys. Uh, they may be getting yet in the back. You missed all last season, uh, and yeah, people cool. seem to really like the head coach a lot, Coach uh, Brian Gregory. He's got a lot of uh, goodwill built up. Uh, so people, people are thinking tournament run. I think is the uh, the optimistic look. Nice, um, but uh, you know they seem to have bad luck. So we'll, we'll see. <laughs> they're just hoping if they can make it. Everybody to the first game, they'll be happy. 
So my final question for you will be, the line is 21 right now. Who's, co who's covering that line? If I had to pick, I'm, I'm saying Cincinnati will cover. Uh, what's the over-under? What's the over -under? Do you have that? Uh, I don't have that. Let's take a quick I look at that. that. Let's yeah. see. I would think, um, yeah, if, if, if I had to pick, I'd be leaning towards Cincinnati. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the line closed even higher. I think uh, USS struggles to score. They only scored 20 against the Citadel. Really, if you take out, they had a, a really funky block punt, punt return that are returned for a touchdown. Uh, so they've only got 20 through two games. I think it's going to be a struggle for them to score. So if Cincinnati shows up on offense, I think that'll be a cover for them. Hummer, did you, were you able to get the line quickly for no. the over-under? <laughs> uh, we'll leave it there. I, it's We're not the, the most gambling-focused podcast, but Seth, again, I appreciate you joining the Cincy Slang and Podcast. As I mentioned here at the beginning, you can find Seth's work at thedailystampede.com. Uh, he does have an article coming up here. I'll let you describe it. What do you, what do you drop in this week? Yeah, so every Friday before uh, the football game, I was an old football coach, coach in high school and a little bit in college. Um, so I kind of just approach like a coach. I go over and watch this uh, film and try to break down the team they're playing just based on the scheme. So uh, Friday you'll see an article at thedailystampede.com breaking down Cincinnati's offense. So I kind of go into some of the schemes they like to run, stuff I've seen them run more than once maybe, um, maybe some of their favorite plays, and then on defense, how they like to play and how I think they might play USF. Uh, so you'll have two separate videos, uh, both roughly 15 minutes in length, uh, breaking down the schemes of both Cincinnati's offense and defense. So um, if you're a Cincinnati fan that's looking for that kind of uh, uh, in-depth look at the schemes of the team, then check that out. I think you'll be pleased. Awesome. We'll definitely check that out. You can also find Seth on Twitter at Seth Varnador. Uh, I'll link that in our, in our show notes for people who want to follow along. But again, thank you for joining the podcast. We'll talk soon. No, thanks for having me guys. Oof, sorry. I keep keep doing this right at the end for all you gambling nerds out there. Uh, 45 and a half is for your, is for your over under. <laughs> might, you may get a Cincinnati cover and an under in there, maybe like 35 to nothing. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. I think USF fans, if they, if they score two touchdowns, USF fans will be ecstatic no matter what the final score is. It's going to be that kind of year, I think. Uh, Odd Shark has the predict, predicted score. I don't know where they get this from, though. 17.3 oh. and, and 34.3. <laughs> I would be shocked if they scored 17 points. I'd be shocked if they scored 17.3, to be honest. <laughs> That'd be, I'd be really shocked. If I'm with you. Fancy football scoring over here. <laughs> Godspeed to you, sir. Take right, thanks, guys. See you.